Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Amen. Aren't you glad we have good musicians in this church? Give her a hand. She was wonderful. I like her because um, when she was younger, uh, she used to let me play the piano with her. And we used to play the piano together. We did a duet. And I've actually done that duet here. Uh, I, the only song I know, Heart and Soul. She plays one part and I do You're not so- sounding, looking too impressed. But uh, it's true. Anyway, we're in Mark chapter 2. We're, we're talking, and uh, when I was here before, we were going through the book of Mark. And we got all the way, after about eight weeks, we got through Mark chapter 1. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. This is going to be a great discussion tonight that we're going to talk about. And I want you to just put your thinking caps on. This is a very, very interesting topic uh, to me. We're going to start in verse 13. Jesus is now well into ministry, and he is going from uh, town to town. He's preaching the gospel, telling people about uh, himself in Mark. I'm in Matthew here. I'm in the wrong chapter here. So you get to Mark chapter 2. Must have picked up the wrong Bible. Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse, uh, in verse 13. The Bible says this in verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him. Now these were not a bunch of saved people. These were people that had not heard the truth. These were people from all different backgrounds. They were all Jewish because he came to offer the kingdom to the Jewish people. But they were not Jewish. They were not Jewish. Uh, or they were not saved, they, were, they, they, they didn't understand who he was, and he's here to proclaim the fact that he's the king and offering them the kingdom. The Bible says the multitude resorted unto him, and the Bible says, and he taught them. That's very important. Today we're going to talk about this subject, Jesus, our example, and specifically Jesus and the Pharisees. Look at what takes place in this passage. The Bible says, and he taught them. This, the multitude of these people came, and again, from all different backgrounds, living in all different manners, they came to him, and the Bible says he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of customs. The, that receipt of customs was just the tax collector's bench, basically. So he's sitting there collecting taxes. And he said unto them, follow, he said unto him, follow me. And he said, he arose and he followed him. As soon as he says to Levi, come and follow me, Levi just leaves it all, gets up and follows him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, now he's sitting in Levi's house, this publican, uh, many publicans, the word publican just means it's a tax collector. He wasn't a republican. Uh, he was a publican, a tax collector. And sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many 
and they followed him. Now, like this would be like you walking into a bar, and Jesus is sitting at the bar with all the guys with their booze, and they're, they're eating, and they're talking, and Jesus is right there in the midst. Okay, we need to understand that. Understand this picture. Uh, this is a publican. Uh, the, the, this is a tax collector who was hated by all of the uh, Jewish people that were around him because he was like a traitor to his own people. He, deter- he was a thief. He was looked at as a thief, a traitor, a, a, a guy that was bought and paid for by Rome. Uh, a tax collector at that time uh, did, not, uh, did this. He would take, uh, the Roman government would say, this person owes $30, and you can, you can charge him whatever you want. We just want $30. So he, could, he had the authority to go up and say, you owe me 60 bucks. When Rome only wanted 30 bucks, he would take 60, keep pocket 30, and, and give 30 to Rome. And Rome was okay with that. They didn't care what he did as long as they got their cash. That was the deal. And that's why they were hated. Because they were looked at as thieves. They were looked at as traitors. They, they were horrible people. And so Jesus goes by this guy who's doing this, and Jesus says to him, you, you follow me. Now he winds up in his home, a place where a Jew would never go, uh, uh, and he's in there, and he's with all these people who are doing wrong things, and Jesus is right there in the midst of them. The Bible says, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in his house, we're in verse 15 again, Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw it, or saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Why is he in there with them? We're the religious people. Why isn't he out here with us? We wouldn't go into that place, and he's in that place. Why is he there? Years ago, a guy said to me, he said, uh, I want you to, he said, look, I, I love you. You're my brother in Christ, but I don't understand how anyone could start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. He said, I'll bet you go into those casinos, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, I go, into, uh, I go into the resorts. And I said, I don't go in there to gamble. But he said, I don't understand that. Isn't a casino like just a great big bar? And what would a Christian be doing in a bar? And why would you want to be in a city at all that's called Sin City? I thought, well, that's a good question. So we'll answer that question tonight. When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, in fact, why are you guys here? Uh, and when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole need, have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So here we have, number one, Jesus with sinners. We have Jesus with sinners. Go to the first uh, slide. Jesus and sinners. Uh, and how Jesus reacts to these sinners. It's really amazing. I'm going to read on just uh, to, to finish this chapter. And the Bible says, And the disciples of John uh, and of the disciples and the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and they say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. What is this thing about fasting? Next week we're going to talk, or two weeks from now, we're going to talk about fasting. 
And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they, they cannot fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then uh, shall they fast in those days. No man who soweth a piece of an, a new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the, and the rent is made worse. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilt, and the bottles will be marred, with, but, the, but new wine is put into new bottles. Now, Jesus is saying, look, you Pharisees are having a problem with the, how I'm ministering to people, and you need to understand you're like an old piece of, of, of garment, old piece of cloth that is sewed onto a new piece of cloth, and that's not good, and, and it's causing a rip in the garment. Now, I'm, I don't sew. Uh, you sew. Gene, uh, you sew a lot. And, and so uh, when, you, when you do that, it, it, it tends to not work well, right? It's not going to work well, and that's what Jesus is saying. He also says, he's talking about wineskins, and he said, hey, listen, you Pharisees are having a hard time because things are changing. And when things change, uh, it, it causes problems. Uh, it's like pouring or new wine into old wineskins. Wineskins, when he talks about bottles, it's actually wineskins. They used to pour wine into, into leather pouches. Well, if they were new, they would stretch as the, as the, as the wine fermented and began to bubble. It would, they, they would stretch with it. But the old, old you, if you put new wine into old wineskins, it, it begins to stretch and it rips. It doesn't work. And he's saying, you, you're having a hard time following me because I'm teaching you truth. It's, it's old truth, but it's new to you. And you thought, the, you thought that, you, that you had truth, and I'm trying to give you some truth, and you're not accepting it. And, and it's, it's, it's a problem for them. And he, he begins to deal with, with them and saying, look, you Pharisees have got to be willing to change, or you're going to be like that old wineskin that rips apart. The Bible says in verse 24, in verse 23 it says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples be began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. Now this was something that was perfectly legal according to Jewish law to do, but the Pharisees had a problem with it. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? They're doing something that is contrary to the law. And it wasn't a contrary to the law, it was contrary to their tradition, and it was actually in accordance with the law. He said unto them, have you never read what David did when he had need and was, uh, and was unhungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but, but for the priests, and he gave also to them which were with him, and he said unto them, The Sabbath is not made for man. Uh, I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. There again, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. I really believe that the theme for Mark is, is uh, Jesus our example. And here, he's, 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 we're seeing a comparison between the way 
Jesus, the Son of Man, a true representative of what man should be able to do and what he should, uh, shouldn't do, as compared to the Pharisees, people who make up their own rules in life. He's comparing the two, and we're going to see three comparisons. Now, we only have time tonight. As I was going through this, I thought, this is so neat. This is so exciting. I would like to get through all three of the comparisons that he makes here, but we're only going to have time for one, and that is Jesus and the sinners. How Jesus responded to sinners as compared to how the Pharisees responded to sinners. So let's take a look at that. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus treat sinful people in this passage? There's four things that I've written down. I want to see what you have to say. How did Jesus treat sinful people in this passage? What's the first thing it says he did? What's that? He taught them. Number one, he taught them. Very good. Uh, He didn't... uh, He didn't come condemning them. He didn't come and preach at them. Preaching sometimes is, you know this. I'm telling you it again. You need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. No, he's teaching them. He went to where the sinners were, or the sinners came to him, and when he came to them, he taught them. Teaching, what does it indicate? What is the fact that he starts teaching them? What does it indicate about him and about them? Okay, so they they were willing to listen. Obviously, he recognized they had a need to be taught. He looked at their need, not their fault. So oftentimes, we look at people's faults instead of seeing their need. we, We do that as parents. That kid's acting up. Well, have you taught them the right thing to do? I mean, I I put um, I put Daisy in her chair. She's one year old. She's put in her chair, and she grabs the peas, and she throws them on the floor. That's the right thing to do to peas. Uh, and she throws them on the floor, and, I th- and she's being taught right. Uh, that is a good thing to do. Uh, now, the other food, though, when you put something nice there, uh, she shouldn't throw that on the floor. And, and, but should we get upset and say, why are you doing that? I can't believe you're doing that, you wicked, vile child. No, the child doesn't know. The child hasn't been taught. You take the food and stick it in your mouth. Uh, do we get upset because children, uh, they, don't, they misbehave in public? No, we shouldn't if we haven't taught them to behave. Whenever we, were, we took our children over to somebody's house, as we were driving over, them, over there, we would always talk to them and say, now this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to the front door. When we get to the front door, you're going to stand, and you're going to stand like little soldiers. And then when they invite, we're not going to rush in. When they open the door, they're going to invite us in. And if they invite us in, then we're going to walk in. And you're not going to sit down until they say you can be seated. And you're not going to go running through their house. You're gonna, and we would give them all the instructions. One day, we were pulling up we were, we were pulling into a neighborhood to pull up to a house, and Matthew said, well, Dad, Mom, which one of you are going to give us the sermon? Uh, and, uh, and because he knew, if they, he knew it was coming, we were going to tell them exactly what they could and could not do. Now, if they misbehave, now at that point, they need to be preached to. But right now, they just need to be taught. You understand? We have to teach. So, yeah, that's right. Number one, he taught them. What else did he do? What's that? Number, number two, he called them. Isn't that amazing? He, did, he said, look, I want you to come. He, he goes to, to, um, to Levi, and he says, come and follow me. 
He didn't say, oh man, you guys are used to, you're a tax collector, you are a vile, you are a thief. He didn't do any of that. He taught them and then he called them to himself. That's how Christ responds to sinners. That's not all. What else did he do? What's that? He communed with them. He ate with them is what I put down. Good. Man, I didn't have to fill in the blanks later. Uh, he ate with them. He sat down and ate dinner with them. That meant he wanted to have a time of fellowship. That's, that's sort of a Baptist tradition. Uh, if we're going to get together and have good fellowship, you've got to have some good food, even bad food. Uh, if you're going to have, you just got to have something. Uh, you know, if somebody's coming over to your house and you're broke, get some peanut, peanut butter or get some, get some uh, popcorn. Popcorn was a big thing when we were very young in the ministry. Popcorn and, uh, and, uh, and, water. I don't care. Something, but you got to have something in your fellowship. So he sat down and ate with them, which indicated to them he wanted to be on a level of communication with them. So he taught them. He called them. He ate with them. He got down to where they were. Here's what, what didn't he do? There's a lot of things he didn't do. I guess I'm just going to say this. He didn't enjoy their sin. He didn't go into, you know, let's, let's just say the bar. He didn't go in the bar because he wanted to get a drink. He didn't go in, he didn't go in where they were, didn't go into Levi's house because he thought, hey, Levi's got some stuff I want. He didn't go in there to get what their lifestyle was. He didn't go in there to partake in their lifestyle. So oftentimes Christians will say, well, you know, I have to be like them in order to win them. I had a preacher say to me one time when I was speaking at his church, he said, I'm glad you wore uh, a suit and tie when you were speaking. He said, I, and I dressed this way, and, he, and he's really dressed really, I mean, I don't mind dressing down, but this guy just, it was like, he said, because we had, a, this is what he said, he said, we had a transient come in, and he said, I was able to go and relate to that transient. Well, let me tell you this something. A, a transient walks into church, they expect a pastor to look somewhat a little bit better than them. Uh, I don't have to get down into somebody's sin in order to win per a person from their sin. And I need to understand that. So Jesus, Jesus with sinners, how did he treat the people? He taught them. He called them. He ate with them. He did not enjoy their sin. Now, what was the Pharisees' response to this? What was the Pharisees' response? We read it together. What's that? Okay, they, they criticized them. Any other words, adjectives? What's that? They questioned him. They said, what, why are you doing this? They questioned his wisdom. Why is he doing this? This is not a smart thing to do, to go walking into this Pharisee's house. Why is he doing this? And then, number two, they did. They criticized him. They just looked down at them. They, they said, this is, this is bad. Now, why? And I've already covered this. What was Levi? What was Levi? He was a publican. Go, go ahead and go to the next. He was a publican, he was a tax collector, and he was a sinner. And so, and, and, and they're thinking, 
what in the world is this righteous guy who calls himself the Messiah doing going into this tax collector in the sinner's house? And, and why are they doing that? Now, we look at the Pharisees, and if you call a Christian a Pharisee, they say, I am not a Pharisee. And like we jump back at that. But did the Pharisees have a, have a um, legitimate question? When, when he's where he is, that's what I want to look at tonight. Before that, let's ask this question. What was Levi's other name? Anybody know that? Okay, Matthew. Matthew was the other name for Levi. And it's important that we understand that because we've got to understand this man who is a tax collector and a sinner. How many of you watch Chosen? Oh, good. All right, this is good st- stuff. Uh, so uh, Matthew's, or Levi's other name was Matthew. And Matthew is sitting there, uh, a sinner, but God calls him and God uses him. Uh, what did God use Levi to do that is still impacting the world today? This is pretty easy. What's that? He wrote a book. He wrote a book called Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew. So, so if it wasn't for Matthew, let me tell you something you wouldn't know. If it wasn't for Matthew, this tax collector who, was, who had Jesus in his house, this sinner, this, this person that the Pharisees despised, if it wasn't for Matthew, we would not know about the genealogy of Jesus through Mary if it wasn't for Levi. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't know this. If it wasn't for, Jesus, if it wasn't for Levi, we would not know about the wise men. Nobody would have to, we'd have, we wouldn't be able to sing that Christmas carol. We three kings. We wouldn't sing that because we wouldn't even know there were three kings. In fact, we don't know there were three kings. We just know there were three gifts. We, we would know a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ if it wasn't for Matthew, which is the largest book about the actual life of Christ. So the next thing we want to examine is this. Can Jesus change sinful men now that's an obvious question Uh, the answer is that's what he does that's what he does he teaches us he calls us he loves us he doesn't enjoy our sin but he brings us to himself and he makes us what we are and it's so important that, that we understand that that's what he did for you and that's what he did for me. In your, in your notes, you'll look at a couple of passages of Scripture. I want you to see them. I want you to see this. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's what Jesus does for us. He, when we get saved, we ask Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we ask Jesus, Jesus, would you save me? The way he saves you is he sends, he says to the Father, Father, would you send the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the spirit that Jesus gave up on the cross when Jesus cried, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Holy Spirit left him, went into the presence of God the Father. 
Now God the Father can do with the Holy Spirit whatever he wants to do. It was through that Holy Spirit that Jesus then rose from the dead. And now Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. God the Son is at the right hand of God the Father. When you call on the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call on the name of the Lord, you ask Jesus, Jesus, would you save me? Jesus says to the Father, Father, would you send the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes. Your spirit's dead. The Holy Spirit comes, tells, quickens your dead spirit, makes your dead spirit come to life and comes to live inside of you. When he comes to live inside of you, since he is God, he, God the Father comes and God the Son comes to live inside of you. And he makes us brand new creatures because before we were a dead creature now we're a living creature we have the spirit of god living inside of us that's what he does that's how we get saved we become new creatures and uh, so he he makes us new that's what he does that's what he did to levi that's what he did to matthew that's what he does to any one of us paul gives a personal testimony in first timothy he says but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for, un- for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for menslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which is committed to my trust. I, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who, ha, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now he says, listen, the law is good because it convicts all these people who do these ungodly things like murdering their fathers and murdering their mothers and these whoremongers and these people that defile themselves with mankind. That's, that's homosexuality. That's the whole LGBTQ people. And you've got kidnappers and you've got liars and you've got perjured persons. All these people in this mix, Jesus came to save them. And you're in that mix with them. I never did any of those things yet, but what you did was just as bad. That's the whole idea. And Jesus came to save them. And he says, listen, I was in that mix too. He says, I thank God. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful. He put me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer. All I could do is say evil things about Jesus and other people. And I was a persecutor. I persecuted Christians. But he says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen to this. And this is under the inspiration of God. This is not something he's exaggerating to make a point. He says, Christ came to save sinners, and he says, of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the chiefest of all the sinners. I was the worst of the worst. All of those things, nothing worse than me, Paul said. I was the chiefest of sinners. And he said, Jesus changed me and put me in the ministry. That's what Jesus does with sinners. This is really important. That's what Jesus does with sinners. But... What, does, what do the Pharisees do? That's the next point. Go to the next slide. The Pharisees and the sinners. We saw Jesus and the sinners. 
Now let's look at the Pharisees and the sinners. Now in your text or in your, in your notes, we, there's a passage that, that shows what Pharisees think of sinners, of, of publicans. The Bible says that Jesus is telling this parable. Uh, and he spake this parable unto certain who trusted in themselves, that's what a Pharisee does, that they were righteous and they despise others. Pharisees trust in themselves and they despise other people. Two men went into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee. Just, just look at this and just be honest. Have you ever felt this way? God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, they're thieves. They're unjust. They don't treat people right. They're adulterers. They live in immorality. Or even as this, and he looks at the guy in the corner, publican, this thieving, stealing, wicked man, tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not even lift up so much of his eyes unto heaven but he smote upon his breast. Guy's not happy with himself. He's not enjoying his sin. He smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Listen to this. Wow. Where am I? Am I like Jesus? Or am I like the Pharisee? What do they think of themselves? Let's, let's answer that question. Just based on what we just read. Anybody? They thought themselves better. They thought that they were better. They thought they were better than anybody. Look at, look at me. Look how I'm doing all these things and look how wonderful I am. I go to church. It's Wednesday night. Look, not very many in this auditorium. Where are they? I am holy. Now, the fact of the matter is, it'd be wonderful if this place was filled, but Satan would like you to focus on the empty seats instead of on God. What do you have for this seat that I'm sitting in? That's where we need to be. They, They thought they were better than everybody else, and number two, they despised the publicans. They despised them. It wasn't as though they just put up with it. It's as though they were jealous of the fact that the publicans got to do the things they did and, and, and they didn't get to do them. Publicans. They despised them. Now, here's the question. Were they justified at all? We covered this a little bit. Were they justified at all in 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 their belief about the publicans. Let's try and look at this. One of the great things to do in getting along with people is trying to see things from their perspective. So from their perspective, why would they look down on these publicans? From their perspective, yes. Okay, Pharisees were trying to follow the rules. I mean, we get, we get people get really upset because the government comes along and says, we're going to forgive all these people what they owe 
the colleges. And yet all these other people, who gets upset? The people who have followed the rules the whole time and now, and they've worked and worked to pay off their debt. Now some of the government's going to come and pay off these other people's debt who got themselves into debt. We didn't get them into debt. We didn't do that. Now they're not going to pay, uh, they're not going to pay off their debts. Any other reasons why they would feel justified in feeling this way? Think about it. What's that? They were telling the truth. The Pharisees were saying, look, these people are sinners. Look, these people are drinking. These people are gluttons. These people are doing bad things. They're doing things that are contrary to the law. Man, that's that, when you, when, and, and did they know what was right? Did they know what was wrong? Yes. Oh, that's good. They thought that the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from the Romans, and these guys were sellouts to the Romans. <laughs> and, and did they know better? Yeah, they knew better. They knew better. They knew the same law that the Pharisees knew. They knew all of the things, and yet they chose not to do those things. And the Pharisees, look, the Pharisees understood the prophets they understood, that we'll talk about the Sabbath in a couple of weeks. They, they, the Pharisees knew that the prophet Jeremiah said, the reason you are going into Babylonian captivity, one main reason is you don't keep the Sabbath. Then these guys come along and don't keep the Sabbath, and Jesus is okay with it. At least that's the way it appears. So I just wrote down a few things. The publicans knew better. <laughs> They, 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 they were Jews. They knew the law. And listen, this was deliberate sin. You drive by a guy that's holding a, a, a street sign out that says, um, uh, we'll work for food. Or some are honest and say, uh, I'll, 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 be, I'll tell you the truth, I need a Bud Light. I, I mean, and they joke about it. And you look at that and you say, man... These guys wanted my sympathy, but they deliberately got themselves in this problem. This guy is homeless, but he didn't have to be homeless. He got himself in this mess. If we look at a person and they're doing wrong, and we say, man, they've chosen to do wrong. And then these were people who took advantage of their fellow Jews. They took advantage of others. Why should I have sympathy on these people who have taken advantage? You take advantage of my child and hurt my child. I don't want anything to do with you. I mean, I'm selfish enough to say if you take advantage of me and, and treat me bad, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You see, that's because we're self that's who we are. So we look down our nose at the Pharisees and we say, to the, we say man... These Pharisees, they, they were unloving and they were unkind and they were critical of Jesus. But man, look what Jesus is doing. And it makes you think, man, if, if I was in the Pharisees' position and I was doing what the Pharisees were doing, and I was trying to get everybody to do right so that God would bless and that we would get out of Roman captivity... And then people come along and do all this stupid stuff and they're doing it deliberately and they're doing it, they're doing it uh, taking advantage of their Jewish friends and, and, and they, they know better and they're doing it anyway and I'm supposed to love them? 
sort of like Jonah. Why would I want to go to the Ninevites? These people are vile. God, I want you to kill them. That's what they were looking for. And I think we can very easily fall into that. I think it's important that we don't. So we saw Jesus and the sinners. We saw the Pharisees and the sinners. And so let's take a look at you and me and the sinners. And I think this is really, really important. You and me and the sinners. You and I are surrounded by sinful people. Some we know, others that we don't know, and they, some that treat us poorly. I mean, we, we're surrounded by terrible people. Now, with the terrible people, there are people who are, think they're on the good side, and they're speaking for God, and they do some weird things in the name of God. Uh, there's, a, there's a church, a Baptist church, in Texas called Westboro Baptist Church. And what they do is they say God hates America, God hates uh, the sin of America, and God is destroying America, and, and, and God is the, the outright enemy of America, and they go to military funerals and they protest and they put up vile signs about uh, what God thinks of people who are living in immorality, and they think they're doing the right thing. They're responding to a sinful world. And these people, if you ask them how to get saved, they would tell you, you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to get saved. Is that the right way to respond? What do, how do we respond in, in a sinful world? What does God's Word teach about our interaction with sinners? So let's take a look at that. Look at the text. What, what, we've looked at what Jesus, how Jesus interacted with sinners. We saw how, how the Pharisees didn't interact with sinners. So what are we supposed to do? Here's what 2 Corinthians says. It says in 2 Corinthians, and this is in your notes, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now, ha, look, Jesus, what are you doing in there? The righteous with the unrighteous. And what communion hath light with darkness? You're the light of the world. What are you doing in the darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? There it is, Jesus. What are you doing in there with the devil's kids? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? If I believe, why am I out here with infidels who don't believe? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? I don't know if there were idols in, in his... Uh, in Levi's house, but there were certainly he, he thought more of himself than God because he was doing things contrary. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, since that's true, you're saved. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. What are you doing in there? And I will receive you, and I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Well, that's what God said to Israel, and that's what Paul is saying, which should be true for us as believers. Then in Ephesians, Paul says this, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them for, now listen to this, it's a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. I hate it when I hear a news report 
talking about some of the vile things that take place out in the world. In fact, I turn that off. I'll, I'll, I'll be going through Facebook and looking, and, and something comes up that is just grossly contrary to the Word of God. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. Why? Paul says it's, it's a shame to even talk about it. I don't want to talk about what homosexuals do. I don't want to talk about what... Uh, what transgenders do. I don't want to talk about that stuff. It's a shame to even talk about their vile things that they do in secret. And now, not in secret, but out and open on television, on the internet. It's a shame to even talk about those things. And by the way, you ought to guard yourself from watching that stuff because if you look at it long enough, you'll have no positive input whatsoever. That negativity will take you over. So, what does God say? Several things. In, in this passage of Scripture, what does God say? Let me get you to answer this. What are the things that he says we as believers should do when it comes to, or we shouldn't do? What's that? We shouldn't indulge in sin. Let's take a look at some of the specific words that he uses here. That's good. There's an unbeliever there, and there's me. What am, I, what am I supposed to do? Okay, not fellowship. There's a word that's used. Okay. Somebody else. What's that? Did you say run away from it? Turn, or turn away from it? Okay. Come on. Go ahead. Separation. He's talking specifically about being separate. Come out from among them and be separate from this stuff. Yet I remind you, Jesus walked right into the midst of it. Anybody else? What's that? He, re he reproved them. Okay, we're to reprove them. There's so many things. God says, he just really makes it a negative. Let me give them to you. Number one. We're not to yoke up. That means not to get connected in intimate relationships with them. Somebody says, somebody says, I've met somebody, but they're not saved. Can I marry them? God's word says don't yoke up with them. Come, somebody comes to me and says, hey, uh, I've got a, I want, I'm thinking about going into business with a guy, but he's not a Christian. That's yoking up. You're connected with them. You are becoming partners with them. We're not to yoke up. Number two, like Doug said, we're to separate from the world. We're to separate from the world. That's what the Bible says. We're not to be like them. We're to be separate from them. And then he says, we are not to have fellowship with the world. The idea is this intimate communion with the world. We're, we are, he says specifically, and I'm not making these words up, they're right there in the text, and that's why we had the text in there. We are to reprove, as Tara said, we are to reprove the world. And then it says we're not even to even speak about those things that are done in secret. We're not to sit and talk about, well, you know what he did? Well, yeah, this is what he did. I mean, people will describe in detail what went on. We are to reach the world and yet not enjoy their sin. Here's the point here. 
Look, how does that balance with, with us being a witness? How in the world does this whole thing, don't go there, don't be like them, don't fellowship with them, don't, don't uh, or separate from them, and yet God tells us that we're to go into all the world. Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every pre- creature. Here's what we're supposed to do. We're to go and preach. And he tells us what we're to preach. We're not to tell them how wicked they are. We're to preach the good news. Jesus went into Levi's house to give them some good news. And that was that they didn't have to continue in sin. Jesus didn't compromise with sin. Didn't, Jesus didn't go in there to enjoy their sinful ways. He went in there to, to teach them. He went in there to call them. He went in there to proclaim to them good news. In Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So what does he tell us to do? Just exactly what he did. We are to go and we're to teach them, and we're to teach them to observe all the things that Jesus commanded. So my purpose for going into, a, a, a guy told me about the story of him um, going into a bar to witness to somebody, and he went in there specifically because he knew somebody needed to be witnessed to. He went in to witness that person. Didn't go in there to enjoy the atmosphere. Probably the atmosphere was very distracting. He didn't go in there to enjoy what was going on there, to, to participate in the sin. He went in there very simply because he went there to rescue some people that were in, in that situation. I went into a, a man's house. His name was Joe. This is when I was about 18 years old. Went into Joe's house because my brother was in there. My brother had overdosed on drugs. I knew that he had taken a handful of reds and he had and he'd swallowed those reds and I knew that he was going to die inside that house. Joe was a homosexual who ran a porno shop downtown called uh, the Flick Theaters. He was, a, uh, he was a, a practicing homosexual. He had a martini in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand. And I asked Joe for permission to go into his house. I went in to get my brother up because I knew he had to walk and he knew he had to vomit that stuff up or he would have died in his easy chair. So, with, so somebody goes by and says, man, I see Dave Tyson in this guy's house. Is he... Well, I went in there to do something. I went in there to rescue somebody. We're to go in and teach. We're to teach them to observe the things that Christ told them. We're, we're to go where sinners are. We need to. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them to despitefully use you and persecute you. We are to love our enemies, and we're certainly to love sinners. But we're not to go into their lifestyle. We are to enter into their lives with the truth and then cautiously withdraw. We're not to have intimate fellowship with them. We're to go where they are so that we can reach them, but we need to be careful. 
Titus tells us this, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition. Here's some really very important points. Knowing that, that, he is, that he that is such subverteth and sinneth against are being condemned of himself. So the Bible tells us this, when we're doing this, when we're reaching the lost, we're to avoid foolish questions. And listen, if somebody rejects, we're, we're, we're to reject a heretic after the first and second admonition. You go and you share something, they don't want to hear it, you don't go back. When I was a teenager, I, I went over, I was, my, all my friends smoked pot. And I went to their place where they were smoking pot. I went in, and they were all smoking pot. And this whole room is filled with pot. And I'm talking to them about Jesus. I remember a guy named Jim Davis. He was sitting right down here. I'm sitting up, and everybody's got their legs crossed, and they're all like, you know, zoning out. And I'm talking about Jesus. And Jim said, whoa, man, this is like Jesus and the 12 apostles, man. And, uh, and, and I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. First of all, they're not really picking up a whole lot, you understand, when they're stoned out of their minds. Secondly, I walked out and realized I'm getting a buzz from the secondhand smoke. This is not a good thing. So, uh, listen, after you've gone once and you've gone twice and they're not hearing it, then you need to just, the Bible says, reject them. You don't have to say, I reject you, you vile, filthy thing. No, we just don't go back. And then we're, we're not to enjoy the sins of the world. We need to understand that. Now, we need then to go in love pre, pre, without condemnation, recognizing that we're sinners, but we need to be cautious. And that's my last point. Listen, be cautious. Caution. Caution, caution. Remember this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Sin is common and your, you being tempted is common. And you think you've overcome temptation? You haven't. You haven't. It's common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. You need to understand that you are subject to temptation. The other day I got a, a packet in the mail. And I thought, what is this? I mean, it was a Federal Express packet. So I opened up the packet, and it said, uh, Dear, uh, it, my name. He said, yeah, I know you're an honorable man. I know that you care about people. And I, know, I know that you care about the city. And I know you're a man of great influence. And you can influence people and leaders in our, in our city. And he said, you, and this letter said, you need to be aware of the fact that there, are, there, there is uh, human trafficking taking place. And there are people who are trying, to, trying their best to seduce young people into... Um, uh, into the homosexual lifestyle and there are drugs that they're introducing to them. They can get online and they can get them and there's a packet of stuff that he's copied from online. And he said this. He said, I would suggest, I, I want to uh, suggest that you go online and you take a look at this stuff and you check this stuff out to see if I'm, what I'm telling you is the truth. And I took that. There was no signature, no name. I took that and I threw it in the garbage. He said, why didn't you do something? If this is a wicked, vile thing, why didn't you do something about it? Because I thought it was a trap. I go online and I start looking and stuff's going to pop up in my mind, pop up on my screen and it's going to be on my screen. 
And I would caution if anybody, any of you get something like that, you just take that stuff and throw it in the trash. So I took the stuff, I threw it in the trash. The next day I told my wife, I want you to know what came in, in the mail. And I trashed it. What they did, what that whole letter did was appeal to my pride and my ability to do something about it and then go online and look at this garbage. You need to remember that you are subject to temptation. And don't you ever think that you're not subject to temptation. You guard yourself. I have preacher friends who think I'm a fanatic about overguarding myself against accusations, but I do that uh, because it's so important. You are subject to temptation. Number two, Romans 7 18 says this, For I know me that it's in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. My flesh doesn't know how to do good. I really have to surrender to the Spirit every day. There is nothing good in my flesh. And you need to understand that. In Proverbs chapter 4, we're told three things. We're told, we're actually, we're told, number one, to guard our mind. And then he tells us to do it three, th three ways, by guarding what we hear, by guarding what we see, and by guarding where we go. That's what we do. You have to guard yourself because Satan is constantly coming against you. I, I caution you. We need not to hate the world. We need not to be like the Pharisees. But as we're going into the world and we're ministering to people, we need to be very cautious that we're not pulled into enjoying the things that they're enjoying and enjoying the things that draw, drew them into it. Popularity, fame, uh, fortune. I tell guys in ministry, fame, fortune, and females. You better be careful about those three things. And if you're a female, males, okay? This doesn't go, there's no F with that. But the, bat, the, the, bat, the fact of the matter is, you need to guard where you go, you need to guard what you do. That doesn't mean we don't go out to the world, but we go to the world to teach them, to call them, to bring them to, to, our, to, to the Lord, not to enjoy their sin. In Psalm 1, we're told, and I would, I would warn you about this. There was a guy named Bob Harrington when I was a teenager, one of the greatest preachers I ever heard. Really enthused me about the Lord, really got me on fire for the Lord. The guy fell into terrible immorality. Just horrible. He was called the chaplain of Bourbon Street. He would go down on Bourbon Street in New Orleans and, and witness to the hookers and the people that were down, on, and down in, the, in, in the wickedness of the city. And he thought, I'm, I'm, I'm immune to all of this. No, he wasn't. Nobody's immune to sin. And then I would give you this caution. Not only should you be careful about yourself, but remember this. You are a missionary. In Psalm 1, the Bible tells us this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Go to the next slide, if you would. You are a missionary, but your children are not. Protect them from evil at all cost. You should be the one that explains to them the consequences of sin. Don't allow them to be influenced by this world as you reach out to the world in love. When you're reaching out in love, as you're showing the love of Jesus Christ, you do that, but don't you get your kids involved in them. You're a Christian, you're grown, you're mature. You, and, and by the way, let me tell you this, you don't ever go by yourself. Jesus, in Mark, sent them out two by two. In Luke, he sent them out two and two. 
That's what they did. That, this was for accountability and it was for protection for his example or follow his example. Do what he says to do. It's really important that we not be like the Pharisees. It's important that we be like Jesus, but it's also important that we remember, Stan, remember this, Jamie, remember this. Jesus walked on water, but you don't. Jesus rose, brought himself back from the dead. You won't. You're limited in what you can do. We need to follow the example of Jesus. He was our, our example, the Son of Man. He is our example. We don't want to be like the Pharisees, but we need to be cautious as we approach people, and we need to be careful, and we need to protect our children and our families at the same time that we're reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because we can fall into any sin that anybody else in the past has. So be careful. Let's not be like the Pharisees. Let's be like Jesus. Let's follow his example, and let's win or share the gospel with the world. Interesting, interesting thoughts, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, help us to take the truth we've heard here and help us to share it with others. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.